Welcome to Back from the Brink. I am Todd Brinker. This is the 10th of June. It is Wednesday, the 10th of June. Aaron will be joining us shortly. Uh, as we left our back, uh, um, yeah, yeah, this is back from the break. Uh, we, when we left the radio show this morning on the brink, uh, we were talking about uh, Jean Triplet, or Irene Triplet. Jean Triplet would be Jeannie Triplet. I was thinking Jeannie Triplehorn. I'm like mixing names in my head here. Um, uh, Irene Triplet. She was the last person to receive a Civil War pension. And she just passed away at age 90. Now, she was born when her father was 84 in 1930. And uh, because she was a, a, um, an adult who had uh, cognitive impairments, she qualified for a lifelong pension. She was the helpless adult child of a veteran. And her father, uh, Mose Triplett, had served as a private in the Confederate Army and then defected to the Union. As such, he received a Civil War pension, as did his daughter. Hard to believe that somebody who served in the Civil War uh, or somebody who was still receiving a pension related to the Civil War, and she was the last one. There are no longer any Civil War pensions being paid as a result of her passing. Um, Her only brother died in 1996, so she is... uh, and never had any children, so she might have some nieces and nephews um, as a result of her brother. But uh, uh, you know, our, our sincere condolences go out to her family and surviving members, if there are those out there. Um, yeah, according to the VA, there are 33 surviving spouses and 18 children receiving pension benefits related to the Spanish-American War, which was in 1898 which is also equally phenomenal when you think about it. And it does put things in perspective in the the things that we think about as history in the history books that are old and dusty and musty and that we don't uh, really think about as something that would be current in any way, shape, or form or have any connection to now, right? It's just history. It's something from a book. And yet there's people who were still alive attached to that time period. Um, you know, she's not the only one. I mean, I'm sure there are other people who, while maybe not getting a pension, are alive, whose parents were alive during that time frame. I mean, that's one generation out. Again, this is an exception. Her father was 84 when she was born, and she just passed away at age 90. So this was a a long stretch, right? A lot of people are not um, um, fathering children at age 84. Uh, and so... That's unusual to say the least, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, and, and you think about all the race relations issues that are going on right now, you, you know, and, and we think of that again as slavery as being something that was so long back ago, but, you know, uh, Ms. Triplehorn just passed away and her dad was alive when slavery was, was a thing and we fought a war over it. 
And so, um, you know, we're not that far removed as much as we would like to think we are. And as we're finding out, uh, if we pay any attention to the news, um, the reverberations of that system are still echoing in our country. And, uh, and it's time that we quash that echo and make a new path forward. And so, um, you know, we're trying to figure that out. What's next? There's been a series that was on last night and uh, and it'll be on again tonight on all the Discovery channels. And they've got like 10, I think, different uh, cable channels that are Discovery channels. HGTV and DIY and Discovery and History Channel. And Anyway, um, it's, uh, I think, being hosted by um, uh, Oprah Winfrey. And it's... Um, just a bunch of African-American people discussing, okay, so we've got everybody's attention right now. What's next? How do we move forward? What are the things that we need to do to be better? You know, it's, it's great that we've got everybody's attention, but now we need to come to some consensus as to how to make it better so that as a black person in America, you don't feel like other so that you have, uh, the, uh, same opportunities and rights that everybody has or should have. Um, how do we, how do we live up to the ideals of our country? And so, um, you know, that's where we're at. Uh, I think that it's probably something good to watch. If you haven't watched it, it's on again this evening. Um, check your local listings to find out when check your TV, uh, channels, uh, channel lists to see what time it's on. I don't have that in front of me, but um, you know, I think that it's good for people who who want to join in the discussion. I think it's good for people who just want to educate themselves on discussion to see where uh, a lot of Black Americans are coming from in terms of what their frustrations are and their fears are in terms of the way that they've been treated and where they think we should go. You know, because this has got to be a dialogue. I mean. You know, black Americans represent about 12% of the population, but we've got to include, uh, you know, not only white Americans, but Hispanic Americans and Asian Americans and, and every other ethnicity in the conversation because, um, you know, we don't want to trade out one group for another and feel like we're, you know, okay, we've figured out how to get along with black America. So now Asian Americans are going to be the target of hate and, you know, and I'm sure that there are plenty of Asian Americans who feel like they are the target of hate from some people, and they're probably very accurate in that response uh, or that feeling. There's people out there who, who carry a lot of angst. Erin's um, going to join us now. Hold on just a second. Let's get her in the conversation. Hello, Erin. How are you today? Ty? Yeah, hi. How are you? Hello, hello, hello. hello. I hear you. You don't hear me. So let me hello, hello, figure hello. that out. Let's find out why you don't hear me. Hello, hello. I hear you. Let's Howdy see. Be. I you hear be. you. <laughs> Do you hear me? 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 Um... Hold on, my camera's. All right, now do you hear me? Do, 
Now do you hear me? Ah, now I do. <laughs> okay, so I had to unplug and replug in my camera. It was uh, um, not connecting properly, and and that's also a mic. And so um, I used my higher quality mic to record my sound, and I heard you fine, but you obviously weren't <laughs> hearing me. And I don't I don't understand why that was working either because I literally was using it yesterday just fine, but apparently the the cable bumped or needed to be bumped or whatever. So because it's tech and you know yeah. whatever. Yeah, why would it reliably work from day to day? You know, <laughs> takes all the fun and excitement out of uh, sitting down to work on your computer. <laughs> you know, I come from a time when computers were basically a hobbyist's toy, so. Um, you know, I remember those days, not always fondly. <laughs> yeah, you know, I became a computer technician when when we were sort of starting to transition to using our hobbyist toys in offices and to do things like publish newspapers, which is where I started. Uh, and uh, yeah, those weren't always uh, good times because you know you'd plug in computers and it's like on any given day. You had to get the mojo right to make the things work. It was sort of, you know, stand on your left foot and chant an incantation and and uh, f- face east. And and maybe, maybe if you're lucky, your computer will work today. But it, it, it kept uh, computer technicians like myself at the time in in, uh, in paychecks. So I guess, you know, I can't complain too much. But holy Do moly. you remember there was a Saturday Night Live skit? A sketch that that was on in the 90s it was your company's tech guy do you remember that one and and the guy was really rude so he'd come in and be like okay i can't my my computer's not doing i can't sign in whatever and he'd be like move and he'd sit down and he'd do a few keys and and uh, like keystrokes and then uh and then fix it and he was consistently rude as people <laughs> asked him dumb question after dumb question yeah <laughs> it was like is it plugged in? <laughs> I kid you not. That was the that was the very first question I always asked people because I'll tell you what that fixed about twenty percent of the problems. Somehow people <laughs> would walk by and knock out the cord and then not realize it or or not even care because they're busy thinking about something and then come back an hour later and my computer screen won't light up. <laughs> you know, and you'd 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 put your uh, tongue in the side of your cheek and you'd go um. It's plugged in, you know. The printer won't print. Is it turned on? Turn it on. <laughs> you know? And you would you would do it as politely as you can. But when you've done that about thirteen times that day, you know, you're like, um... you know. And then there was that that people who would absolutely swear that it was not working until the technician stood there, did nothing, just showed up, and you go, yes. okay, show me what it's doing. Well, it's not doing it now. Uh-huh. <laughs> you just need to stand there. It works better when you're here. And I'm like... There are intermittent problems. We, we, we know that there are intermittent issues. Yeah. Like with your car. Like it's making a bad pinging noise, and you finally get it to the mechanic, and it won't ping for him. Right, because it's now warmed up, and it's a different situation, right? You drove it there, so it's it's... Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and and there are some that way the computer is less likely to have those kinds of problems, but they do have some intermittent problems. And, you know, and the thing is, is that very often when somebody's having a problem, they're not willing to wait for the technician to get there. So they will continue to work 
by doing other things, and now they've changed the situation. So now the computer's no longer doing what it was doing. You know, and ah. so and so that then causes the problem. It's like, well, show me what it's doing. Well, the you have now changed the situation. You've you've launched a different app application or done something else in order to continue to be productive while you're waiting for me to arrive. And so, you know, it's it, and it's hard to convince somebody don't touch anything, do nothing, don't touch the keyboard, go get a cup of coffee. I'll meet you back at your cubicle in T minus five minutes, you know, or whatever. Um yeah, it's 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 funny, but yeah, the the troubleshooting, you know, it's like, well, my computer power is up, but I can't reach the internet. Is it plugged into the internet? You know, um, and this is obviously Back the day. Everything was hardwired. Yeah, I was gonna say this is the day, days before Wi-Fi. Now, with Wi-Fi, people go, why would I plug my computer in? You know, what do you mean plug a computer in? You know, they're all virtually all of them are laptops these days. I mean, people recognize that there are desktop computers, but. Not many people use them at home, I don't think, anymore. The sales of desktop computers is way down. Well, because a laptop's infinitely easier because you can take it wherever you want instead of being chained to a particular desk. Yeah, and you can get things like Chromebooks and cheap Windows machines for, you know, $200 or less in some cases. So, um, you know, why would I want to buy a, you know, big desktop computer that I can't move around? Um, but there are advantages to having the larger screen and, and being able to do things there too. So there's value in those. You just, you know, it's probably not as valuable to the average household. So I was just going through um, some of the stuff that we had talked about before too, about um, um, Irene Triplehorn and how astounding it was that, that, uh, that somebody who had a connection to the civil war just passed away in 2020 and, you know, and again, putting that in perspective in terms of, you know, some of the race relations issues that we're going through today and 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 thinking about things in terms of like, well, that's history from a book and realizing that in some cases it's one generation back. I yeah. mean, granted, that's a pretty um, unique stretch. There aren't a whole lot of people fathering children at age 84 um, like her dad did. But uh, but they're there. You know. Yeah. Not, a, not it, every. Oh, oh, go ahead. I know. It just puts everything into perspective. It just yeah. makes what seemed like so long ago, you know, it really boils it down to no, it really wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we're still living in the shadow of of uh, of slavery. And, you know, we need to chart a new path. So we do. there's a, um, a series that has been on all of the discovery channels and there's like eight or 10 of them now, which is in addition to discovery, I think the history channel and HGTV and DIY, they're all part of the discovery network of cable channels. And last night, and then again tonight, uh, Oprah Winfrey is hosting a conversation with African Americans, uh, about what's next. And I think it's actually important that somebody's doing this. And I'm, you know, and Oprah's probably as good a person to do it as anybody, uh, you know, unless it was going to be perhaps President Obama or his wife, um, and say something along the lines, you know, and they're, they're basically asking the question, okay, so now we've got everybody's attention. What is it that we want? How do we want to go forward from here? What's next? You know, what is next? And well, it sounds fascinating. And I think that's an important conversation to be having. And, and, you know, because it's like, okay, great. Yeah, you've got everybody's attention. And then 
the next thing is going to happen. I mean, remember, this is 2020, and something happens about every week and a half that's catastrophe, and we all focus on that for a while. And so before that next thing happens, before that next shoe falls here in, in 2020, and we all go, you know, oh, my gosh, the locusts that came back after 17 years this year are carrying a bacteria that causes your eyes to turn purple, um, you know. <laughs> Or whatever, you know, Um, uh, you know, you know that you don't want this to fall out of the news cycle because the next big thing has happened. So what's the you know, while while we've got the attention of the world focused on race relations, what is it that you want? What is it that we as a society want? Um, Now, her conversation is with uh, black Americans. But realize that this is something that's going to have they have to understand as a group. And, of course, they are a group of people. Right. So there's never going to be an absolute consensus. You know, there's not a consensus between you and I, just the two of us on things, you know, at times. Um, Of course, some of that's by design because it makes for better conversation. If we both go, yep, you're right. Every time one of us says something, then it's kind of a dull, (laughs) makes for (laughs) dull conversation. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You know, and so, you know, I I think people, when they listen to uh, radio uh, uh, and uh, podcasts, sometimes they don't realize that that um, uh, well, even in television conversation things, sometimes people on the panel take the other opinion just to make it an interesting conversation not always necessarily what they believe either they just want to to uh create um you know a better conversation for people to watch because we understand that part of this is entertainment but anyway back to the point is that we have to have this conversation amongst multiple races you know we you know black americans represent about 12% of our population but um you know so so we need to engage with uh you know white americans and with hispanic americans and with Asian Americans, because we don't want to create a situation where we we resolve issues for black Americans and then take the same issues and place them now upon somebody else. Right. Right. Uh, uh, Any any more than they've already got race issues. Um, And so, you know, as a country, we need to figure out a way that moves forward that that, um, you know, at least starts us down the path of putting this behind us, you know, and I think we made huge strides. Uh, during the civil rights movements of the um, 60s. But, you know, those were strides. And then things have have stagnated and even regressed in certain areas, you know? Yes. Uh, And that's the other thing, is that we're not homogenous as a country. Certain areas, it's significantly different than in other areas. You know, if you live in the South, you're still... um, you know, living in a world that's different than you are maybe in, in, you know, Southern California where you and I live. Um, and clearly if you live in Minneapolis, life is different than perhaps other places. So, you know, have you, so have that, has the series already started? Have you watched any of it? So, um, it was on last night. I think there was two hours last night and then they're going to do another two hours tonight. And I watched bits and pieces of it last night. I haven't watched all of it. I do have it recorded and I'll sit down and watch it more today. So, um, huh. so it sounds yeah. interesting. I don't know that I, cause, because I don't have cable. I wonder if there's a way that I can watch it streaming. Yeah, um, I think that any of those networks, um, you should be able to find it online. Actually, let me see if I can find any information about that. Um, Let's see. Uh, 
Oprah, what's next? And see if that'll find it. Well, there's what's next for Oprah. No, this is all talking about what's next for Oprah. What's extra, What's Oprah's next move? This is all old stuff about when she was leaving her TV show and launching the own network and that kind of stuff. So, um, hmm. Well, I'll have to look for it because that yeah. sounds really engaging and interesting. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's a worthwhile conversation. And so I was, you know, encouraging people. And I think that, you know, we should encourage people to to watch and listen. And you can find out whether you agree or disagree with what's being said. But, um, but you know, that's still the, it, people are expressing valid uh, feelings and valid opinions about where they think we should go, what we should do. And the nice thing about it, too, was is it wasn't her and a panel of three people. There was a very long list of um, prominent African-Americans, not only from the entertainment field, but from uh, education and politics. And, and so, you know, you're getting a lot of different perspectives, um, which is interesting. I also want to plug uh, the phone, uh, the the fine folks over at KCRW, which is a um, public radio station here in Southern California. They have a podcast called Left, Right, and Center, and it's a weekly podcast. Last week they had on a um, an all African American panel, and the nice thing about their format is that they have somebody. They always have somebody who is, represents the the. Uh, the liberal perspective and somebody who represents the conservative perspective. And so and then they have a nice discussion. They don't like talk over each other and shout at each other like, you know, it's not McLaughlin where they're going, you're wrong. Um, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you why. Um, and and so even their moderator was an African-American woman. But it was very interesting because they had conversations and you found that the two gentlemen who were the the um, representing right and left agreed on some things more based on. The fact that they were both gentlemen in their fifties uh, and sixties, perhaps oh, even a little, a little bit older, and that and you found that was some some very generational differences because the lady who was the moderator is um, uh, significantly younger, and of course I don't know everybody's exact ages because they didn't didn't you know talk about that, but but they made they did point out that they're of a different generation, and both of the gentlemen remembered the sixties and what what it was like, you know, going through that, and so. Um, so, so I say 50, so probably 60 or 70. Different. Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, and that goes to the point that I was making earlier about that, you know, that groups of people are not homogenous, that, that um, you know, here we have two African-Americans, one who is uh, left-leaning, one who is right-leaning, who happen to be, you know, 60-ish, and, and then a younger uh, African-American woman who I believe is in her 20s or 30s, and they have very different perspectives, and not necessarily based on their political biases, but just on their life experiences, um, and therefore different senses of what, where we need to go and what those solutions are. So, um, yeah, that's why I'm kind of looking forward to Oprah's thing. I hope that she also included some people who have differing um, political perspectives, you know, so that they're not, you know, the the, the stereotypical idea is is that everybody who's African American is very liberal and supports democratic causes and uh and that may be the majority of that community but there are um you know significant number of african-americans who are more conservative and i think especially as they get into middle class like a lot of people who as they get um uh or middle age rather as you get a little older you tend to be a little more conservative in your in your outlook 
you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when you start paying more bills, those bills, the amount that you're taxed and your, what happens to those dollars, um, it makes more, dif- more it makes more, um, it has more impact on you. You have more concern about it. You want to mm-hmm. make sure that the money's being spent right and that you're not being taxed into oblivion. So, because young people tend, that you, there's, a, there's an old saying that if you're, if you're young and conservative, you have no heart. And if you're old and uh, uh, progressive, then you have no brain, <laughs> which made me laugh. <laughs> so, yeah, because, you know, as, you, as you're young, you, you hear this, you, you, you hear the platitudes of, you know, we need to take care of everybody and blah, blah, blah. And you think, yeah, that sounds like something that we should do. But then once you start really paying for things, your perspective changes because yeah. you realize that there's just not enough of other people's money to satisfy. Yeah. So you're, you're old and you're progressive than you're Bernie Sanders. Exactly. Which he's kind of crazy. So mm. yeah. You think? <laughs> yeah. So, um, where do we anyway. go from here? June 9th and 10th. It's on at 9 PM Eastern time. Uh, it's on the, uh, Oprah, Oprah Winfrey Network and across the Discovery Networks uh, is the conversation. And I'm trying to click on the link to go there, and apparently it's not a link; it's just a little banner, which is a pain. Uh, yeah, no I kidding. Want, I wanted some more information, but uh, okie dokie. Um, I would be stunned if you didn't go to one of the, if you have uh, an uh, an app where you can get to streaming for any of the Discovery Networks that you should be able to. Um, uh, watch it again from the beginning. I would bet you money that they're not going to miss out on that. Uh, those eyeballs looking at their stuff, you know. Yes. And so, yeah. Did you see the news reports that um, you know about all of the spikes in coronaviruses uh, in several different countries since these protests started? Yeah. Not surprised. Which is not at all surprising. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just afraid that they're going to shut it all down again, and I think that the world economy can't handle that. Yeah. I just. I, I think that um, we've got to find a balance, you know. And I, I think we need to keep in our mind. We got need to keep reminding ourselves the reason we shut it down in the first place. The reason we shut it down was to keep it from spiking and overwhelming our healthcare systems. As long as we're not overwhelming our healthcare systems, then we don't need to shut it down. And that's that's, you know, that's the reason it was done. It wasn't done to to keep anybody from ever getting sick, because that's not a realistic goal. No. No, it's not. And our bodies need to develop immunity to this. Um, and so the young and healthy should be out there, out and about, and their bodies will develop an immune, immunity to this novel virus. Yeah. You know, as they get a mild case that they may or may not realize they had coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So have you seen the reports that um, there were there's a, a group of people who did an analysis of like you looking at satellite photos um, at, at hospitals in China, in Wuhan, um, about, you know, how many people were going to the hospitals and, and to try to really figure out when this pandemic started in China. Mm-hmm. And they are fi- finding information that looks like it started last summer. And that uh, that it wasn't until that it had reached kind of a critical mass that 
China started telling people about it. But they're, they showed pictures, and I think it was July, and I could be wrong, but they showed pictures from, uh, from one week to the next, and the, and uh, the numbers of par- car- parking lot, or cars in the parking lots at the hospitals in and around Wuhan. And they, it, the, the jumps were dramatic. So they believe that that, that, that could be indicative of uh, an outbreak of something like corona if it wasn't uh-huh. corona itself. Do you know what I mean? Yep. And, and so, you know, again, I was sick as a dog in December um, yeah. with all, all of the symptoms that they talk about with coronavirus. I swear I had it. Yeah. Now, um, you know, I mean, I know in Los Angeles County, I don't know about San Bernardino County, but you don't even have to show symptoms to have the test. But, you know, the thing is, is you need to have the the antibody tests. It, it's a little disconcerting to see that some of the testing centers are actually shutting down now, too. And it's like, I think that we really need to step up, especially the antibody testing, so we can find out more about how and when it was moving around. Because, yeah, it'd be real interesting to see if you had it in December and then, you know, see if some of the family members have antibodies because, you know, I mean, you tried to isolate yourself as much as you could, but let's face it, we were celebrating Christmas with family. So, I mean, exactly. you, know, you know, we were all, um, you know, out and about a little bit. Um, and Absolutely. so, you know, it's, um, it, you know, and it doesn't take a whole lot. I mean, it, you know, just sitting in a room talking with somebody can, can spread some viruses around, you know, um, singing some Christmas carols, you know, which we're known to break out into song every once in a while as a family. Um, it happens. It, it happens. happens. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I do want to go get tested. Kaiser mm-hmm. Permanente, who is my insurance provider, only tests you if you have symptoms, and which mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I don't. I have, um, I had them back in December. Yeah, but um, you've had, but I, you, you had a headache. I mean, if you look at the list of symptoms, pick one. You, you've had, you, I, I bet, I bet. Most everybody, if you look at the list of symptoms, has had one of those symptoms in the last two weeks. Uh, that's true. I think it's everything from stomach upset to headache to yeah. sore throat to, yeah, it it's is. allergy season. So I've got several of them. But exactly. This, Isn't that, yeah. I mean, it's, it, so, I mean, yeah, you maybe don't think you really have it, but I mean, come on, they've opened the door so wide that it really, anybody could walk in and go, yeah, I've had one of those. Maybe two. <laughs> maybe two. So the, um, uh, uh, the the uh, oh my God, Queen Elizabeth's husband, um, Prince Philip, is turning ninety nine, ninety nine years old. Ninety nine so, Phillips up on the wall. Ninety nine. Exactly, he's the longest serving consort in UK history, and the mm-hmm. Iron Duke is now uh, a year away from a centenarian status. He celebrates his ninety ninth birthday today and plans on spending it and you know planned on spending it with his wife of 72 years queen elizabeth having a quiet lunch at windsor castle where they've been self-isolating since march there are worse places to self-isolate that's very true um (laughs) he's also expected to field calls from family on a special on the special day like do what most people would do um in their uh, uh on their birthday um so yeah pretty pretty uh pretty amazing though the two of them have just had this longevity it's incredible really is it really is um she is the longest lived longest reigning british monarch monarch and this is a uh you know a uh, a line that goes back quite a ways and uh yeah 
seems to be chugging along just fine too you know um it, it's funny when you see them they're looking old and and frail but um but you know i've seen uh in in the last couple last year or so uh, where she has uh you know spoken and she she's speaking clearly and uh seems to have her wits about her you know and it's like if you're going to live a long time you want to try to have good health and and have your 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 brain functioning clearly right and uh, oh yeah that seems to be the case so more power to her um so happy birthday prince philip yeah not that he's listening yeah yeah (laughs) but uh yeah and 70 they they, what did you say 74 years they've been together yeah crazy right pretty awesome next year 75 so if gold is 50 what's 75 like uh jewel encrusted gold (laughs) is it diamond diamond is it diamond i don't know yeah They've certainly got plenty of uh, diamonds to celebrate with, I guess. That's true. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. We were talking about long-lived people and, and reaching back. You realize he, he's he's uh, he's 99. So he was born in um, what? 1921. 21, yeah. 1921. So that was before, um, it was after World War One, but before World War Two, during the Roaring Twenties. Yes. Yes. Crazy. Yeah. Um. So, have you heard about this Stanford University professor? Not Stanford. I think he was UCLA um, uh, professor who um, he refused to, to change his students' grades and made them take their final exam. And he uh, he um, uh, is now in some hot water. Gordon Klein of UCLA, um, apparently he doesn't like special treatment. Um, He's been there for 39 years and they've suspended him and is now receiving police protection after after refusing a request to alter final exams in response to the traumas of black students. Um, Accounting lecturer Gordon Klein said he was only following his supervisor's orders when he uh, when he rejected the request from non-black student amid from a non-black student amid global protests over the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Um, And the student apparently took issue with his response. Um, uh, He says, thanks, this is the response. Thanks for your suggestion that I give black students special treatment. Are there any students that may be of mixed parentage, such as half black, half Asian? What do you suggest I do with respect to them? Klein also suggested a white student from Minneapolis might be more devastated than the, than this, but devastated by this than a black student. Um, so remember, MLK famously said that people should not be evaluated based on the color of their skin. Do you think that your request would run afoul of MLK's admonition? Uh, Klein concluded, noting our sole, our sole course grade is from a final exam only. The petition signed by some 20,000 um, signed some 20,000 times, calls in an extremely insensitive, dismissive, and woefully racist response to his students' request for empathy and compassion during a time of civil unrest. So do you think he should have uh, given given them some sort of um, redress or some sort of um, special treatment, as he said? Hmm. I don't know. Um I think that, you know, there's a lot of people just because of COVID that were a lot of situations that, that you know, and this that 
was predated George Floyd's uh, uh, death and, and killing um, that caused a lot of schools to change the way they were doing things. If he wasn't changing things for that, should he change things because of the George I You know, I don't know. I don't know that I disagree with him 100% in terms of, you know, here's here's what's going on and you know regardless of what's going on in the world you are a student here taking a class you are responsible for finishing that class i think that what i might have done if i were in his shoes would say um i will give you an incomplete until you finish this and you have x amount of days whatever the school policy is you know to finish this in order to get credit for this semester yeah i think that would have been um uh, think, a reasonable right um and justifiable response because Anything that he did is precedent setting, right? So, you know, you want to make sure that you're following the policy to ensure that you're not going to get, you know, it's not going to bite you in the backside. Yeah. You know, I I think that would have been the right way to handle it. But, you know, him choosing not to handle it that way. I mean, I've seen lots of college professors become pretty unreasonable in the way that they handle their grading and, and their classes. And they... Um, that's part of going to college is learning to deal with people who are unreasonable. <laughs> Unfortunately, Indeed. you it's know, true. I think I think anybody who's gone and gotten a degree in college has dealt with professors who, when you talk to them, they go, "This is the way I do it," and and they won't give you the time of day. I mean, it's just, I'm sorry, this is the way I do it. They don't even say I'm sorry. They just, you know, this is the way I do it. If you don't like it, tough. Um, and um, and in fact, today a lot of students. Uh, are very careful about classes they pick because there's online places where professors are rated and comments are made. And so students can, excuse me, um, can share their experience. And so when you pick a class, you get an idea of, you know, what you're signing up for. Um, you know, that didn't exist when I was going to college. You just, you know, surprise when you show up in the class and you find <laughs> out the, your professor's a, a doofus. Um, well, and sometimes you don't know um, there are were occasions where I didn't know who the professor was because they hadn't filled the slot. They knew that they were going to have a class, but they hadn't right. hadn't filled that particular slot was. So you didn't know who was going to show up until you got there. Right, and then the professor shows up and goes, "Well, they just told me I'm teaching this class. I'm not really prepared, and I don't want to be here. So your life's going to be miserable too because I'm miserable." <laughs> and I had a professor. I had a professor who almost literally said those words one time, and I went, "Oh my gosh, oh, goody! This is going to be such a fun semester." <laughs> man you know it's like i don't like teaching this class but they're making me do it and if i'm unhappy you'll be unhappy and you know what here's the thing that's life you've get you're gonna get bosses that are like that too you're gonna get bosses that Mm -hmm. say they say things to you and in 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 clumsy and sometimes um uh not necessarily sensitive ways about you know about your performance or about what they want you to do yeah and you know what suck it up buttercup that's life yeah, you know, and it's funny, I, I, not to, to rag on, on younger folks, but there seems to be a, a societal change happening uh, where a lot of, um, uh, again, I hate using the term millennial, but, but younger people in the workforce um, are, will walk away from jobs or get um, incredibly offended if their boss is hard on them. You know, what we would call hard on them, they're saying, is offensive and intolerable. Right, right. And they'll say abusive. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, no, I just told you that you messed up on whatever it was you were doing. Yeah. You know, I, I'm sorry I didn't sugarcoat the fact that you're incompetent. But, um, 
you know, at this point you're incompetent. And so we're going to train you to be actually a valuable employee if you're willing to stick around. If you're not, I'll find somebody else. You know, exactly. Uh, and 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 I hate to say it, but I've there, I've had bosses who literally use those words as well and spoke to me just like that. You know, and and, you know, when I was younger, you know, you learn pretty quickly if you're in the workforce to 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 go a. I don't want to work for people like that. I wanted to be the person who who hires people. And, and that way I get, you know, I want to move up the chain. So you start figuring out how to get better and move up the chain and get a better job than the starting job, because there's some bosses. Who, who, especially for whatever reason, if you're in that that starter job, just treats you awful. They, you know, whether they think that you know it's their job to create a boot camp atmosphere and weed out the weak ones, I don't know. But uh, man, I I worked for three weeks once at a, um, uh, a minimum wage job at a Wendy's. The only time I ever worked food service, I only did it for three weeks, and immediately after getting the job, I started looking for another job and got hired into another job. Um, that was gave me a little more autonomy um, and turned out to be a much better job for me. Uh, but, oh, my gosh, the managers in that place tra- treated people badly. I felt you know, really bad for the people. There were some retirees that worked there, and I felt really bad for them. Oh, that's terrible. You know, they I, were... I, go ahead. No, I was just, you know, I... Uh, um, I lost my train of thought. So go ahead. Okay. Well, I was going to say there were, there were some retirees working there, you know, and here's this 20 something in his first managerial position as, you know, night shift manager. And so he's the authority in the store and, uh, and the way he spoke to those people and the way he treated people, I thought, Oh my gosh, uh, you know, this guy is such a bozo. (laughs) Uh, it was it was literally I mean within seconds I knew this was not the place for me and I was out out of there and so um, but I didn't want to quit the job until I had I knew I had another one right so I started yep. looking for another job pretty quickly um, you and, know it's uh, it's it's interesting that uh, the other the other thing that I've noticed is that um, uh, younger people and I, I assume that I was like this when I was younger I don't really remember I don't th- maybe not to this extent is they believe that it's somebody else's responsibility to train them on everything. And so they will do nothing as their job is evolving, as things are happening. They don't do any investigation on their own. They don't learn new skills. They don't, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you should have trained me on that. Or if you do train them, they say, oh, well, I didn't know. But you just went through everything with them. Yeah, but you didn't make that clear. It's like, okay, hold mm-hmm. up. It's your responsibility to listen. It's your responsibility to take notes. It's your responsibility to make sure that you know how yeah. to do your job. Yeah. Yeah, your job is to figure it out. I'm here to answer yeah. questions and help you, but there's never an excuse for in- inaction. You know, well, and no training is going to tell you, it's going to teach you how to deal with every eventuality that could ever pop up, right? Yeah. So you do a training session, you get people started, and as issues pop up, they have to have the ability to problem solve um, to yeah. be able to, to overcome the issue, whether that problem solving is with you or that problem solving is just on their own. And I tell you what, you show up to a place that has a training manual that manual that tries to do that, then you don't want to work there. I I, yeah. I also was in that situation where they come in and they they go, thump, there's the manual. <laughs> and you're like, 
oh, oh no. My. You know, <laughs> so I'm going to have to memorize this book, and this is all going to be about following the rules and regulations. And if I step out of line in any way or ever handle anything that's not exactly to procedure as it's documented on page XYZ of chapter four, you know, then holy moly. No, exactly. thank you. Exactly. No, You're like, you. I don't work in healthcare. Nobody's going to die if I do it a little bit differently. So no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always and naturally gravitated to and looked for jobs where um, I had bosses that would say, here's the problem. You go find a solution and would leave me alone yep. and let me find the solution. In fact, it was funny. I was talking with my dad yesterday uh, about a job that I had. Um, and I had a boss one time come to me. He gave me a, a, something to do and a deadline good thing for a boss right you need to get this done for me and here's the deadline and it was a complex task of multiple steps and you know um uh but it was you know you had to solve the problem you had to figure it out because he didn't know he he didn't say do this 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 and this he said you know get this done and he gave me basically a week to get something done and about two days in he asked for an update and i said well i'm thinking about it and about four days in he asked for an update and i said i'm thinking about it and finally, about six days in, he goes, you know, it's due tomorrow. Where are you at? He says, um, I kind of got a plan. I, I think I'll have it ready for you in the morning. And he goes, he looks at me and he goes, you know, you are the laziest person I've ever known. He says, you take something that takes a week and you sit and, and think about it for, for six days. And I said, yeah, but, but uh, and then I explained my solution. I said, but I figured it out so that now the next time we do this, we can take the same solution and apply it to these other situations because I've created a tool for us to do this as opposed to just solving the problem once I solve the, you know, and so I spent six days figuring out how to solve the problem the best way. And, and, and he just laughed at me and uh, you know, and it's funny because my dad, an electrical engineer by training. Um, and, and for those of you who know an electrical engineer, you're snickering right now. Um, uh, Cause you'll know what I mean. You know, he says, yeah, but that's the way engineers and and uh, and programmers and a lot of creative folks look at problems is they they say, let's think about ways to go through this and let's let our brain chew on it. And sometimes, you know, have you I mean, I'm sure you've been in this situation, too, where you're thinking on a problem and at some point you just go. I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to go take a walk. I'm going to go uh, talk to somebody about some other issues that I've got to work on and just let my subconscious chew on it. And suddenly the idea will come to you and you go, okay, hold on a minute. And you've got to like go write this down real quick before you lose it. Cause it's like, okay, got it. And I, yeah, I literally used to have a uh, little voice recorder and a pad and pencil next to my bed because there were times when like in that little kind of twilight before, you know, as you're going, my brain will be working on the problem you know, not even really consciously, but I'm thinking about it still. And I would suddenly go like, oh, I got it. And I wanted to quickly write it down or record it before I lost it so that the next day I could then, you know, flesh it out a little bit more. Yes, I, yeah. I work like that when I write grants. Mm-hmm. I have to think about it and I have to, you know, to chew on it. Because if you've got a very concise space to solve, a, you know, to write something and you have to um, be very clear um, uh, and straightforward mm-hmm. in that in that writing, you don't want you, you know you want to make very very sure that you understand inside and outside what you're writing about. And sometimes right. when um, uh, if, if if I do a good chunk of what I call stare time, where I'm just I'm seriously just chewing on the problem, and then when I'm ready to write, I write and it all goes down. 
So, right. um, you know, I don't yeah. write and, t- and see where it goes. I have it in my head and then I write it down. Mm-hmm. It's like a word problem, right? You've got the problem is you have X amount of space and you've got to get X amount of ideas into that space and still be uh, yes. thoughtful and legible in how you do it. I used to um, play around with a uh, with some poetry stuff called uh, and a specific form called a villanelle, and it's very specific in how the 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 each line is structured and the number of syllables and which lines rhyme with which lines and how many lines total there are in the in each piece. And I liked it just because of the fact that it it was so structured and so f- you forced you into to solving a problem. It was like a word puzzle every time you would do it. And so just writing it was like cathartic, cathartic to me. Yeah. That's awesome. Writing is good. I think writing is cathartic. I think people mm-hmm. should journal. For me, when I journal, I clear the clutter out of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, because there's always, you know, there's, I, I have a very rich inner life, as a lot of mm-hmm. introverts do. And, um, and so, but sometimes I need to clear that out so I can actually be productive. And writing really helps me with that. Right. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy writing as well, and, and whether it's for that or, you know, it's funny, I find that um, I sometimes um, help my daughter rephrase things when she, she will be working on something, and, you know, sometimes you just need somebody to bounce an idea off of, and um, I serve that purpose for her in some instances, which I really enjoy, just because it, A, makes me think about something that I'm not thinking about normally. She, you know, she's working on a task either for, a, you know, a work thing or for, for school or whatever. Um, but also it just, um, you know, it's that, it's that, that creative logic process of going through and saying, well, you know, if you structure this sentence this way, or you change this wording here, then that flows more clearly. And, and, you know, and sometimes she takes my ideas and sometimes she looks at him and goes, nope, that's not how I want to say it. That's not my voice. And you go like, fine. You know, you know, I'm, I'm serving as an editor here. I'm not writing it for you. Yep. Yep. So, so it looks like we are about out of time today. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think we went a little long. So, um, hopefully, you will have a great day. And we didn't go too much into your uh, prep time for work. And no. uh, so happy that you could join us, everybody. My name is Todd Brinker. This is Back from the Brink. And have a great day, everyone. I'm Aaron Brinker. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, I didn't. Like, I I didn't set that up very well for you, did you? I'm Aaron yeah. Brinker, and it's still Back from the Brink. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and we're still day, there. Bye bye. <laughs>